Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your coach, Brian Buffini. Well, top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Today, we have a guest who authored the number one New York Times bestselling book, What Do You Want to Do Before You Die? And uh, Mr. Ben Nempton. He was a star of the MTV show, The Buried Life. And as the co-founder of the Buried Life movement, he created the world's greatest bucket list with his three best friends. And they borrowed a rickety old RV and crisscrossed across North America. And they achieved almost the unimaginable. And each time they accomplished a dream, they helped a complete stranger cross something off their bucket list. From playing basketball with the President Obama to having a beer with Prince Harry, being in movies, all kinds of great stuff, reuniting a father and son after 17 years. And uh, one of my favorites was surprising a girl with a much-needed bionic arm. Ben's bucket list quest has helped millions of people awaken and be aware of what they can do and what perhaps they thought was impossible is not that impossible at all. We are big fans of the bucket list, but we're amateurs on the subject. We thought we'd bring in a pro. And coming out of COVID, I think a lot of people are ready not only to travel and, and to pursue, but to do something fun and exciting and stretch themselves. So, Ben... We are delighted to have you. Thanks for taking time to be on the show today. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. So cheers. Yeah, you bet. Well, before we dive into your amazing bucket list adventure, which is a cool story, tell the folks a little bit about where you're from and what it was like growing up in the Nempton family. I grew up in Victoria, BC in Canada mm-hmm. and um, uh, one younger sister, two parents that were, my dad is actually a theatrical clown. And my, so he was, he's a very, very funny guy. Um, and my mom, she did a whole bunch of things, but she did coaching for women in business. She worked on nonprofits, uh, you know, and they were both self-employed and we traveled a lot. Uh, when I was two years old, I traveled to Greece cause my parents loved Greece. My dad plays music. So my mom, my dad would play music in the bars. They just sit me on the, on the, on the bar as they played music. And they'd play music for room and board above the bar at the wow. bar. And then I would drive in between them on the Vespa to the next bar. And that's how that was my first travel experience. I'd wear a yellow hockey helmet <laughs> on, <laughs> on the Vespa. And, uh, and so that, that, that was my, my upbringing was a lot of travel, a lot of music. Um, my dad had a lot of friends that, that would come over and play music at, at parties that they would throw. Your, your upbringing sounds like a bucket list for many people, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it definitely was. Yeah. And I think what was, what was cool about it was because I saw the way that they live, uh, you kind of just by osmosis, I felt okay to take liberties when I was growing up to go after certain passions. And um, ultimately, I dropped out of school to pursue this bucket list thing because it was gaining momentum. My parents you know, they never, they never financially supported me in terms of, they never gave us or me any money to do this. But what they did do is sort of give me the freedom to say, or to feel like school will always be there. You can come back to school. This opportunity might not be there. You know, my mom took seven years off school to travel the world. She came back, finished her degree. So that was really cool to have that as sort of a beacon for me growing up. Mm. Um, And I think that that's what, you know, why I felt okay to follow those, those passions as I grew up. It seems like you got a combo of both. You got the entertainment side from your dad and you got the coaching side from your mom. So, you know, you took travel and aspirational and fun living and then created 
teachable moments out of it. I love BC. I actually, uh, for I think seven years in a row, I used to go up to uh, the Comox Valley and yeah. hike uh, all across the Forbidden Plateau and all the way up there and yeah. Mount Matchley and all those great places. I used to say, you know, God created the world. He spent a little more time on BC than most, you know? Yeah, I agree. Beautiful part of the world. So, but it wasn't all sweetness and lights here. Uh, you know, everybody's listening to this. Oh, I'm going on the Vespa and yeah. you got the freewheeling parents and mom takes off for seven years to travel the world. I was intrigued about your story, your first year of university, you're, you're on scholarship, you're in a top school, you make the U19 Canadian rugby team, you know, so everything looks great. Everything looks like you're following the path. You're on the yeah. uni trail, you got the scholarship, you're playing rugby, you're playing for your country. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, uh, life took a few twists for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely the first mental health crisis I've ever had in my life. And I was, you know, as you said, everything on paper was fantastic. Um, but I was, I put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed. And uh, I, I don't really know why my parents didn't put pressure on me, but I just, I think it's because I wanted to be liked by other people. So I would, I wanted to succeed in school. I wanted to succeed athletically. Uh, I mean, in, in Canada, rugby is a big sport, not as big as in Ireland, but it's probably the third biggest sport behind hockey and hockey. So it's, <laughs> it's big. And I played fly half, as you say, as you know, oh, it's yeah. a lot of pressure. You're calling the plays, you're kicking the field goals. And I had missed a big field goal in high school in a oh. championship game. Yeah. And at that age, you know, that was everything. It haunted me. And, I, and as we were training for the World Cup, which was in Paris, I, I just practiced my field goals every day, but this thought would keep coming back to me, which was, mm. I, what if I miss an easy field goal at the World Cup? You know, what if mm. I blow this opportunity? And these, these thoughts would especially come at night and I, it, they caused me to have trouble sleeping. And so this lack of sleep, this constant pressure that I put on myself to succeed, this anxiety that I was feeling around my rugby in the World Cup, it all contributed to me sliding into a depression. Mm. And I'd never experienced anything like this before. I had been very happy-go-lucky my whole life. I had an amazing group of friends, supportive family. And all of a sudden, I couldn't go to school. Right? So I, I, I drive to school. I had a scholarship, but I couldn't get out of the car. And so I drive home. And ultimately, I dropped out of school. Were you having panic attacks? Was it just a... It was... It was yeah. I mean, how I, did it manifest itself? So I, I felt um, anxiety around getting out in public, I felt like I was, it was very difficult for me to make a decision. And, mm. and it compounded because after I'd missed one or two classes, you know, it made it worse to go back. Right. And so I would be like, can I go today? Can I not, you know, and I would be stuck in this indecision, which ultimately would be my decision to not go, which would make it worse the next time. And the same with rugby practice, you know, I, I missed one rugby, rugby practice. And then the next one is like, what am I going to say? It? Why did I miss that? And then I'd miss mm. two. And suddenly before I knew it, I, I was dropped from the rugby team. Mm. And so I really became a shut-in in my parents' house. And I was sort of crippled by these feelings of anxiety and depression, which was compounded by the lack of sleep. Mm. And so, you know, I tried many things. I, t- I tried therapy, but I really wasn't interested in going to therapy. I thought that it was a weakness, you know, which now, as I've learned, it's the exact opposite of that. Mm. Um, and so, and it wasn't until my friends came at the end of the semester that I had dropped out of, and they convinced me to come work with them in a new town that I slowly started to come out of these feelings. And, and, and there are many, many things that contributed, which is important 
I think, to understand that there's no, you know, silver bullet for this. But some things that helped right away. I got a job, so I started feeling some confidence, some self-worth. Mm-hmm. I started talking about what I was going through for the first time, which was huge because suddenly I realized that I wasn't alone and, I, and that some of my friends had been through something like this before. And ultimately, that led to me talking with a therapist to learn more about myself and build tools and habits that were good for me and just ultimately a support system uh, and learn about myself. And I, and, I, and I met young people that were inspiring. So I met kids that had already started their own businesses. They'd already traveled around the world. And I hadn't met young people like this. And I realized that they gave me energy. And I, mm. and I realized that some people gave me energy and some people took energy from me. And so as I was driving home after that summer away, I thought, I'm going to try and only surround myself with people that inspire me. Mm. Just like those kids that I met in the new town. And there was really only one kid in, in my life at the time that I felt was inspiring. And his name was Johnny. And he was a filmmaker from my neighborhood. And secretly, I had always wanted to make a movie or a TV show with my friends. And so I called up Johnny. I said, you make movies. I want to make a movie. I know we don't know each other. In fact, the only way I know you is because you took my sister to prom. So this is a little bit weird. (laughs) (laughs) So I was very conflicted about whether I should reach out to him. But he said, you know, I was just talking to my friend Dave about something like this. And I said, okay, I'll call your older brother, Duncan. And how about the four of us get together and let's talk about making a movie. And so we started chatting and we had no idea what this movie was going to be about, but we all had this uh, this feeling that there were all of these things that we'd always wanted to do, but we'd never even tried them. Mm. You know, it's like they were buried. And so we, it actually happened to be Johnny was sitting in his freshman year at McGill university in, in English class. And his English professor assigned him a 150 year old poem to read. And the poems called the buried life. And he reads the poem and something strikes him. From that poem, he sends four lines of that poem back to us. And he says, guys, read this poem. And the four lines are, but often in the world's most crowded streets, but often in the din of strife, there rises an unspeakable desire after the knowledge of our buried life. Mm. And he said, guys, this is crazy that this poet in 1852, over 150 years ago, is articulating the exact same feeling that we're feeling, that we have all these things that we want to do, but we haven't done them because they're buried. You know, but once you unearth them, you know that those are the things that light you up. But everything kind of pulls you away from that in the day to day. And so we thought, well, I guess we're not the first people to feel like this. Why don't we take this name, The Buried Life? And even though we didn't know what the film was going to be about, we thought we're going to call it The Buried Life. And our next step was thinking, okay, how do we unbury our dreams? And that's where Mm. this question, what do you want to do before you die, came from because the thought of death actually made us think about life, you know, by actually digesting our mortality, it put things in perspective. And so when we asked ourselves this question, there were many answers. And that's where the bucket list came from. It was our answers to the question, what do you want to do before you die? And we, Mm. when we, we wrote the bucket list together and we said, you got to, there's two rules. First rule, you have $10 million in your bank. Second rule, you can do anything. So you had to pretend that those two were truths. Yep. And you wrote down, you know, make a TV show, go to space, pay off our parents' mortgage. Tell a judge you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. You know, like anything <laughs> that we could think of. And, and then we thought, well, there's no way we can accomplish these on our own. We're going to need the help of other people. Mm-hmm. So how about every time we cross something off our bucket list, we'll help a stranger we meet cross something off their bucket list. Mm. And we'll go on the, a road trip. We'll check things off our bucket list. And we'll ask strangers along the way, what do you want to do before you die? And if we can help them with that thing, then we will. And that'll be our film. And so. 
We threw parties as fundraisers. We cold call companies pretending we were a production company. We got a local juice company to pay for our gas. We bored an RV, an old 1977 Dodge Coachman. And the community really came together to support us. There was a deli that gave us uh, lunches while we were fundraising. We, you know, people donated things so that we could give it away on the road trip. And, and keep in mind, this is in 2006. And so when we hit the road, something sort of unexpected happened, which was strangers started to hear about our mission. And, and they started to send us emails through this website that we built. And they said, hey, I saw number nine on your list, ride a bull. My uncle has a bull ranch, he can get you on a bull. Or I saw number 42, make a toast at a stranger's wedding. My best friend's getting married. I'm the best man. I can get you in. <laughs> and then people would send us their dreams asking mm. for our help. So we got inundated with hundreds of dreams, first in BC, then in Canada. It was national news. Then it was international news. And so we got these hundreds and hundreds of dreams. So we come back after that two-week road trip and we thought, holy crap, like, we got to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And so that two-week road trip ended up lasting over 10 years. Wow. And those list items that we had initially wrote on the list that I was completely sure were impossible over time, they ended up falling off the list. And that's crazy. Yeah. I am, I am curious to know what the first thing on your list that you checked off, but I actually have one thought just came to me, which is what was the most common thing you heard? If you, you know, I get thousands of emails every month and there seems to be this and that one might be somewhat unusual, but there's a lot of patterns. Mm -hmm. What, what was the most common thing you saw? Definitely travel. I think travel and adventure are the most common category Mm -hmm. of life when it comes to a bucket list. Uh, But I also think that that's what you think of when you think about a bucket list. That's just the, and and I, I'd love to suggest that there's a bucket list is a reflection of all your hopes and dreams, all the things that are going to bring you joy and happiness and fulfillment. So Mm -hmm. adventure and travel is one category, but there are 10 categories of life. So there's professional, spiritual, emotional, uh, intellectual. What do you want to learn? So your, your, your bucket list is a holistic reflection of all the things that are going to bring you joy and happiness. And it's just a device to remind you that those things are there. So you don't forget about them. Cause if you don't have something to remind yourself, they get buried. That's just mm. human nature. Um, and so the most common is it, I found it was travel. Another really common one was reconnecting with someone that they'd lost touch with. Right. And, and I think that's one of the top five regrets of the dying is, uh, sure. I wish I re- would have reconnected either stayed connected with old friends or, you know, reconnected with someone that I cared about, uh-huh. you know, that I had a tip or something and I didn't mm-hmm. stay in contact no, with them. That's good. So what was the first thing you checked off your list? <laughs> I was embarrassed to say it. It's a little bit weird, but we wanted to, uh, I wanted to, to be a knight in shining armor <laughs> to get nice. a full suit of armor. And <laughs> I was able to get a, a, like like you would see in a Scottish castle, like yep. standing full chain mail and sword and everything. I got it on loan for two hours for free with the <laughs> promise of bringing it back because I was a beer rep at the time. So I traded beer to my friend that owned a restaurant to for a gift certificate to give to this woman. So she'd give me the... <laughs> and so I went out in this suit of armor. I didn't have any idea how heavy it was going to be. It's about 50 pounds yeah. and it's it's hot it's august and i get into the rv and we go down and film our first list item in victoria bc and i didn't know this but one of the guys had secretly called all the media and promised a giant stunt and because victoria is a small town nothing's going on all the news cameras were waiting 
Oh. And then I, I was like, Johnny, I like, which is the guy that called the news. I said, I can't even walk in this thing, let alone do a stunt. And he said, well, you're a knight. You can figure it out. And so yep. I, yep. I walked out of the RV and it was very awkward for a moment. But at that moment, when I stepped out, there was a six-year-old boy walking with his mom, mm. holding his mom's hand. And his other hand, he's holding a plastic sword. No way. And his eyes just balloon. He looks at me, drops his mom's hand, runs over to me doesn't say a word and just kneels down and bows his head. No way. Come on. Yeah. I'll, say, I'll send you the photo. It's, it's wild because that's when you know you're on the winner right there. You get that kind of providence. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. It was total serendipity. And then all these kids started coming out of nowhere. I started knighting all these kids in a circle. <laughs> and of course there was a photographer there who took a photo. And so the mm-hmm. next day we left on our road trip and we were, we were excited because we crossed off that one list item, but we picked up the newspaper and we realized, holy crap, we crossed off two list items. The second being make the front page of the newspaper. Wow. So it was myself in the knight's uniform with the little six-year-old boy walking across the street hand in hand, his with his plastic sword, me with my real sword. And, uh, and that's what started the, the momentum for the project. Right. Well, I think once people realized it wasn't just about your bucket list, but also about other people's, you know, then, then again, people want to help you. And I think... You, you're probably surprised to find out how much people wanted to help you. And yeah. then also people reaching out wanting to be helped. A thousand percent. And I think that that is one of the biggest things uh, that people stumble on when it comes to their personal goals is they don't share them because they're, mm-hmm. because they're, they're afraid of what other people think or they're afraid of failure. Right. And I mean, I know you know about those two fears, you know, but when it, the only way that we cross things off our list is through the help of other people. So of mm-hmm. course, the only way they knew about them is because we shared them. And we always found that people were more willing to help than we thought. And also the only way that we helped other people was finding other people to help them. So we were just the facilitators. Yeah. And we always say you give someone a chance to be a hero and they take it. And so I think sharing your, your dreams, sharing your list, you know, sharing your goals is, is so important because sure. if not, you're on your own, you know, you're just, you're, you're going at it solo. And so you, you not only give other people the chance to help you, but you also build accountability by sharing your list. And with your personal goals, we need to create accountability because we have accountability and deadlines for everything else in our life. And so with our personal goals, we don't. And that's why we push them. Sure. Right? 76% of people on their deathbed, their single biggest regret in their entire life is, I wish I would have lived my ideal self. So. Mm-hmm. Versus living for someone else. Sure. And so they regret the things they didn't do, not the things that they did. And it's because it's human nature to continually push these personal goals because life gets in the way. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we have no consequences. We'll say, I'll do it next week. I'll do it next month. You know, we'll do the trip next year until 76% of people realize they're out of time. Mm-hmm. And so really that's the reason why I, I speak is just to try and bring down that percentage a little bit. To sure. give people permission to go after those things and, and relate it to their performance at work, related to their mental health and happiness, related to the, the actual the health and well-being of those around them, their friends, family, because, you know, you can't take care of other people if you don't take care of yourself. Sure. So I think it's a really powerful idea. Well, let's let's split it into two because there's two parts to this, uh, two sides to this coin. Yep. One is what was the most fun or the coolest, most outrageous thing you got knocked off your list that you didn't think you could? And similarly, what was the most cool, fun, outrageous thing you helped somebody else achieve? So 
I, one of the one of my most favorite was playing basketball with President Obama at the White House because sure. it was the it was when we wrote it down. I, I just thought there's this is a, almost a joke. There's no way we could ever do this. You know, we're living on an island in Canada. You know, we we don't even know anyone in the U.S., let alone anyone in Washington. Right. And um, and it was such a journey to get there. We drove our we <laughs> after we had the RV, we we bought a purple bus from a nudist in Vancouver, <laughs> <laughs> and he had painted the whole thing purple. On the back of the bumper was a bumper sticker that said "Happiness is no tan lines," and that's probably why we got such a good deal on it because no one would buy it. And so we drove this nudist bus to DC and we, we just started asking people on the street, do you know anyone that knows the president? <laughs> and of course like that didn't get us anywhere, but we did find out that you could email politicians offices. And, and so we just contacted them all, you know, anyone we could find an email for a phone number. We called, we left messages, we emailed. So finally, we got a few meetings and we could sometimes convince them to convince their boss to meet with us and their boss. And so we went all the way up the ladder we actually got a meeting with the Secretary of Transportation of the United States. And he was so confused about what the meeting was about and who we were. We had yeah. to sort of like explain what we were doing. And in the meeting, after we explained the mission, he called the White House. And he said, you know, I, I want you to know I'm with the, the Buried Life gentlemen. I have no idea how they got in my office. But uh, uh, I assure you, they'll cause no embarrassment to the president. And so we thought, that's it. This is as high as we can go. He put in the call. And we get an email from the White House right away. And they're like, sorry, it's not going to happen. <laughs> sure. And, uh, and then we just thought, you know what, maybe we can, we, can, we can invite the president to us instead of going after him. And so we started sending basketball game invitations to the personal aid of the president saying, <laughs> 730 tonight, the YMCA be there. And we'd show up with our basketball, our basketball gear. Did that for a week. No president. We picketed outside the White House in 1970s basketball uniforms with signs. And then finally... We were like, we gotta, we're, we gotta move. You know, this, this bus is expensive to park. We gotta move on. But I ended up getting a blocked phone call a couple of weeks later and it was the personal aide of the president. And I explained to him what we were doing. He said, you know what? I think I can make this happen. Give me two weeks. I gotta run it by the press team at the White House. Wow. They sign off on this. We're good to go. And so we wait on pins and needles. I finally get a call back from the personal aide. He says, not going to happen. <laughs> and then he's like, he felt bad and he thought it was going to happen. And he said, listen, if you're ever back in town, let me know. I'll give you a tour of the White House. And so we actually were, he was good on his word. And he gave us a tour a few months later through the White House, the West Wing, down the, to the, where the tennis courts used to be. There's now basketball courts and there's a presidential basketball and we're shooting around. And we asked if we could film for a minute. And he said, you know, the president's not in town. Go for it. So we, we're filming. And as we're filming, President Obama walks on the court and surprises us. No. And we're just, you know, our jaws hit the floor and we, we couldn't believe it. And it was just such a, such a surreal moment because this was, I was seeing something that I thought was completely unachievable happen. And yeah. so it, it, I had no choice moving forward to believe that anything was possible because I just proved to myself that it was. And so that changed my belief system in a major way. Mm. And I think everyone has the opportunity to change their that belief system and prove to themselves that these things are possible, which is why I really believe that keeping a bucket list in a in a journal in a place that you can revisit uh -huh. is important because over time you'll look back at that first list and you'll see things crossed off that you had when you wrote it, you thought they wouldn't happen. Right. And so it's markers for you that you can do these things. And it's like, if you climb Everest, 
you go to climb another mountain, you know, it's going to be hard, but you've climbed Everest. So you climb one. Yeah. You can do it. I think the other thing, Ben, is also the dynamic and it's easy to kind of blow past the struggle and the setbacks and the nose. Yes. And, yes. you know, many people, they have the, they have the goal, they have the dream, they have the first setback. And I've seen from spiritual connections to say, this is confirmation. This shouldn't be my goal to the family circle where friends and family go, see, I told you, you shouldn't have tried that hard. You shouldn't get your hopes up. You know, the thing is, you know, something to hope for is a powerful thing Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. something to do. And Mm -hmm. and you said it here, doing changes your beliefs. And there's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. You know, no doubt about it. I mean, I came to America with 92 bucks in my wallet and knew nobody, you know. I teach goal setting. I've taught it all over the world, millions of people. And there's no way. I mean, I've knocked off a lot of goals, but some of the best goals I ever had were things I didn't even, you know, they were beyond my scope, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I wrote them all down. I'm big into that and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, you know, it gives you this perspective and we'll, we'll finish up today talking about the journal. My mentor, Jim Rohn, first taught me on the power of journaling and, mm-hmm. and the significance of it. And then the power of reading your old journals. And also reading the struggle and the setbacks and the difficulties and what your thinking was at that time, what your fears were at that time. And then you overcome it, you achieve and you look back and you read your journals. The one thing that always strikes me is, man, that that was what I used to worry about. Mm-hmm. That was what I used to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. And also, man, I can't believe I got I achieved that. Like, what what can I do? So I just think the whole process, that story is a great illustration, like you said, because it's one thing after another. You got into mm-hmm. the Secretary of Transportation. That in itself was kind of crazy. Yeah. You know, not knowing anybody in D.C., back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and boom. And then from there, it kind of took off, right? The next thing you know, you're on Oprah, and you're on all these different shows, and everybody's in, in love with the Bucket List Boys, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, and, yeah, and you don't see the struggle. <laughs> you don't see the, you know, you show it in a 22-minute episode. Of course, it's going to look like that. And you, you tell the story on a 45-minute podcast, it, it's going to look like a rocket ship. and you know, this is 10, 15 years, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I think that it's also important to note that, you know, I talked about that first depression that I hit in yeah. university. I've hit a few, you know, and, and I know that I will hit more. That's just part of who I am. But I, I also know that each time I go through it, it makes me stronger. I learn new things about myself. I build a stronger support system. I build empathy for other people. And I've realized that this thing that I thought was my weakness can actually be my strength when I truly embrace it rather than try and stuff it down and hide it. Mm. And so I used to do my keynotes. I'd tell the whole Barry life story. I wouldn't mention depression because mm. um, I was ashamed of it. Right. right. Uh, and, and I, then I started learning more about the, the rate of suicide in the U S you know, someone taking, takes their own life every 15 minutes in the, in mm-hmm. the U S alone. So it's right. over 150 suicides a day. And, and after the, the pandemic feelings of depression, and anxiety have increased. And so I thought, well, if I can, you know, when I heard other people talk about their struggles that I admired, Michael Phelps, you know, athletes, those types of folks, mm-hmm. um, it normalized it for me. I thought, wow, this the best athlete in the world goes through this. I guess right. it's not that weird. Um, and so you know, I thought, it's funny, Ben, we, you know, we, we have, we're 25 years coaching people, tens mm-hmm. of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And we have all of these started here, finished here, and we have three minutes to tell it or less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The part of every one of these good life stories is that that people identify with is the struggle. Mm-hmm. And that's what people find inspirational. We have all these people, you know, the single mom with kids and the husband left her in the middle of the night and left her quarter million dollars in debt and yada, yada. 
every time we go to tell one of these people's stories, they're embarrassed about the part that is the most inspirational. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The thing that we find most inspirational is the thing that people are, they want to hide or shield. And, you know, fair play to you that you realized that you can connect. You know, you stand there in front of an audience and say, I was deeply depressed and mm-hmm. with all these negative thoughts and, you know, self-loathing or whatever it developed into. Mm-hmm. And there's two thirds of the audience going, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. I'll mm-hmm. never say it, but I can relate to that. And it's the, it's that authentic sharing of genuine struggle. I think mm-hmm. that really helps people. And especially now there's a lot of people not doing so good after being in Europe and, you know, up in Canada, you know, the story people have been cooped up same yeah. in Ireland, you know, my yeah. parents left the house for the first time in 15 months, you know, crazy. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, and that, it's actually would be unnatural to not have those feelings, right? right? That's the irony. And you know, I just noticed that whenever I saw someone that I looked up to, whether it's a leader or, you know, someone that I didn't know, but that I looked up to, you know, Tim Ferriss, those types of people talking about their struggles, it made me admire them more. Mm-hmm. And so when I thought, okay, people are going to look down on me if I share my struggles, I thought, well, that's not my experience when I see other people. It's the opposite. And that's mm-hmm. the reality is you, you actually respect people more you connect with them because when you're vulnerable, then you can make that connection. Mm-hmm. And I think as leaders, that's incredibly important to, to mm-hmm. be vulnerable and open so that people connect with you and also tell people and make them feel like, Hey, it's okay to not be okay. Sometimes, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's part of life. And if you are, let me know, or, you know, make sure that I can support you in any way that you can. I mean, the reality is everyone will go through some sort of mental health crisis, you know, in their life, whether it's from a mental illness or it's from, death of a loved one or a divorce or anything that is just part of life. And I think that, you know, really at the end of the day, the, if there's one thing you take away from this, it's that just talk about that with someone that cares about you or ideally uh, a professional, you know, and mm-hmm. if, if you're talking with, there's barriers to entry for therapy, you know, it's expensive. It yep. takes time to find the right therapist. You're not going to immediately connect and respect the first person that you talk with. Give it some time, you know, try a couple, see, who you connect with. And then you have that person for, for life where you can go to them in tricky situations or just, it's personal development. You know, everyone should be so lucky to have a therapist. I mean, if you play basketball, you don't play basketball at the highest level without a coach, right? right. I mean, you know, you, you need a coach. And so yeah. that's what, at the end of the day, a therapist is some sort of for coach sure. for you. So yeah, it's incredibly, I think, important right now to, to, to continue to normalize this, this conversation, destigmatize it, and, um, and also bring a little levity to it because it is part of life and it's right. going to be hard. And it's also, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get through it and you're going to learn something. And it will be for the better. So the bucket list in the pursuit of that, did it, did you find your spirits lifted? Did you feel this sense of anticipation Did it not to fill the hole in your life completely, yeah. but did you feel that it lifted you up out of your problems and onto something that was aspirational for you? Well, I think it really helped, you know, I, I, I talk about like, I love the idea of having like a mental health toolkit or a purpose toolkit or resilience mm-hmm. toolkit. You can kind of call it different things. And I think purpose is one of those things that, mm-hmm. that brings you that sense of well-being. And that's really what a bucket list is, is all the things that are going to bring you that sense of purpose. And what I realized is that I was living the life that I thought I should, you know, playing rugby because it was big in my town. You know, uh, I, I, really, I didn't love playing, but I played it because it was the cool thing to do. Uh, you know, succeeding academically because that's what I was told I needed to do. Uh, when really I wanted to be creative, you know, I wanted uh-huh. to 
make stuff with my friends. I wanted to have experiences. And so by, by doing those things, and I think creativity is, a, is an overlooked pillar of, of wellness because mm-hmm. when you express that, that's really like your true expression. And, and really a bucket list is bringing you back to your true self when mm-hmm. everything else is pulling you away from that in life. And you just need reminders and devices to bring you back to those things that are truly going to bring you joy and happiness. And one of the things that, you know, the big studies, I have 250 employees working from home for the past 15 months, and we've been very productive and all that kind of good stuff. But one of the areas in all the major studies being done right now is there's a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of productivity. There's a lot of effort. In many ways, people are getting more done on Zoom than they did personally. However, uh, the one area that's dropped off significantly is creativity. And creativity is at an all-time low in many, many companies and many businesses and many people because it requires a, a certain chemistry to connect and interact and synergize. Let me just do this real quick. Give me, give me a, just give me a fastball list of 10 great bucket list items you achieved and 10 great bucket list items you helped someone else achieve. Just off the top of your head. Uh, so survive on a deserted Island and, and make a raft and escape. We got pushed off blindfolded off the cook islands and had to live <laughs> for a couple of days eating coconuts and, uh, crabs, um, uh, streak a field and get away. Uh, we didn't get away. We got, <laughs> I spent the night in jail, but we did all streak. <laughs> oh, uh, we, uh, eat a 72 ounce steak. Um, ask out the girl of your dreams. I, I, my friend asked out, Taylor Swift at the CMTs and actually was able to, we snuck into the CMTs, pretended that my friend was a famous country music star, got a horse and chariot, made, <laughs> got fake fans out there screaming his name. He got in and, and asked her out and actually went on a, a date with her. Uh, we, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's been a wild journey. The first person we ever helped was a guy named Brent who wanted to bring pizzas down to the homeless shelter. And that was the one thing that we, first person we were like, yes, we can help you because we can afford pizzas. Uh, and so we, we, we interviewed him and we found out that the reason why he wanted to bring pizzas down to the homeless shelter, because he lived in that homeless shelter for many years. Uh, And he said, when people came in with food, it was the best because it felt like someone actually cared about him. And he got himself out of that homeless shelter by starting a landscaping business. That landscaping business relied on his truck and his truck had recently broken down. But when we asked him if we could help, he would always talk about bringing the pizzas to the homeless shelter. So we thought, we got to figure out a way to get this guy a truck. And we had 480 bucks between the four of us, Canadian. So it's, you know, less. <laughs> and we, we went to a used car salesman. We told him Brent's story. And he gave us a $2,100 truck for 480 bucks. Wow. He paid for the, the insurance out of his own pocket, right? So talk about, like, you giving someone a chance to be a hero. We drove the truck up to Brent. We tossed him the keys. And he was just beside himself you know he Mm. he, no one had ever done anything nice for him like especially not like this he just hugged me and started to cry and that was the moment when we realized like we got to keep doing this this was the first we'd never helped anybody Mm. outside of our circle you know someone we didn't know and it it was a resonating feeling and so we thought okay we got to keep doing this And, and 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 that's what we found and consistently is just the there's a list items that we do which are awesome but there's you know, when you help someone else, the way that it, it, it sinks in with you is different. You know, right. it sticks with you. And I, I, I think it'll stick with me until I die all these, all these For times. Sure. That, and so that was amazing. We helped a girl that was born with one hand. As you mentioned, we found her a bionic hand. We got it donated from the best prosthetics company in the world. One of the best called Hanger Clinic. Um, surprised her with that. 
we helped two, this was a really cool one. Two guys said, I, I want to reconnect with our, our childhood best friends. We haven't seen them in 40 years. We used to go to this lake together every summer from the ages of, you know, seven to 14. And since we were 14, we, we, we haven't seen them. We were able to convince them to go to the lake as a part of something else. And we found the other guys and they surprised them at the, at the lake. And immediately they were back to being 14 year old yeah, best friends. Yeah. And that was interesting too for us. Cause it was, we thought, well, there's us in, you know, 40, 40 years. years. Yeah. And so we, we helped, um, a girl in new, in new Orleans after Katrina, her mom passed away. Uh, and she didn't know where her grave was. And, and mm. it, she was actually buried in Denver cause she passed away on the bus out of New Orleans. So we helped her find her mom's grave in, in Denver and, we uh, helped someone overcome a fear of heights. We re- reunited two father and sons after 14 and then 17 years. Um, and uh, yeah, lo- lo- lots of lots of cool stuff. Yeah. It's one thing to, you know, to check off the box and streak the field and whatever else. But the profoundness is always, and I always give this to people, you know, it's great to have the bucket list, but it's ultimate is the service list. And if you can bless other people. You know, to me, checking off the box always makes me motivated, but beyond motivation is inspiration and inspiration mm-hmm. is when you really do those acts of service. And that's pretty spectacular stuff. Hey, uh, you know, something I want to jump into here. It's no stranger to our audience that I not only do I promote books I believe in, but I'm a big journal guy. I've promoted journals. I've taught journaling for a long time. And uh, I was excited to hear that you are coming out with uh, a new book, which is the Bucket List Journal, which is eminently practical and uh, and impractical at the same time. So <laughs> I'd love you to talk about it a little bit because I've we actually and I don't know if you know this, we actually built one and it was very cumbersome and difficult to build. We gave one to our mastermind audience a few years ago, yeah. and of course everybody had this beautiful bucket list journal that we built out, and then COVID happened, and right. I'm sure it all just went in the tank. And like I said, we're, we're rank amateurs when it comes to the bucket list. Talk to me a little bit about this bucket list journal and, and uh, what's in it for folks. Yeah, so it's, it's, really, it's really about getting past the top three things that stop us from going after those personal goals. And, and those are, there's no deadlines, so we have to create accountability. Mm-hmm. Typically with our personal goals, we wait to feel inspired to go after them. But that inspiration rarely hits out of the blue. So you have to create your own inspiration, as you said, by taking action. Even if you have no idea how you're going to achieve it, it doesn't matter. Just that first step, you figure out the second step, and it's momentum. It's pushing the snowball over the hill. It grows. So you're the architect of your own inspiration just by, by taking action. And, and it's getting over the fear, right? The fear of what other people think or the fear of failure, which are both fears that we all feel. You know, that's the, that's the thing. You don't, you don't, you don't get around those fears. You get comfortable with them. You know, mm. you, you understand that those are part and parcel. It's like the tax you have to pay <laughs> to achieve mm-hmm. something great is, is moving through that, that, un- that vulnerability, that fear. And so that's, that's what the bucket list journal is about. So first it, uh, you help, it helps you write your holistic list. So I mentioned there's 10 categories of life. Mm-hmm. So you write your list in, in 10 categories. What are your intellectual goals? You know, all the things you want to learn. What are your physical goals? What are all the things for your physical health that you want to do? What are your mental health goals? Spiritual, emotional, uh, relationships, right? Love, friendships, professional. So you're writing all of these goals in categories so that you, your full bucket list reflects all of your 
hopes and dreams, all of the things that are going to bring you that, that sense of well-being. And, and then it's about, you know, sharing your list to build accountability. And it's about breaking those down into smaller goals. And it's all of these little sort of action items to build accountability and to, to bring you closer to those, to those list items. And uh, I tell my story through it. And I sort of talk about why this is important. And uh, there's some really, I think, inspiring quotes throughout it and some cool little hidden messages that will take you to different uh, videos and pieces of content for people that get the journal. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those things that I, I've been wanting to do for a while because every time I, I do a keynote, I, <laughs> I, I want people to have something mm-hmm. like the tool to, to go and do those things. And that's what this is designed to do is just to, is to help you take those steps. And I think it's a quite a beautiful book. So I, I really wanted it to be something that you felt like you wanted to keep. Cause as I said, you want to keep your journal and you want to revise your bucket list as you grow. Cause as you move through life, of course, your goals, your dreams, your are going to change. And so you want to revisit your list and take things off that you don't want to do, add more things. And that's okay. You know, we have the original 100 that we did. We've crossed off 95 or so of those 100, but I've added hundreds more because of course, now the things I want to do are different than when I was 20, you know? Sure. So I think that that's why if you, you know, you have this thing that you can revisit. It's, it's important. And I think you should do your bucket list with your partner. You know, I think you should do your bucket list with your family. You know, I have tons of families, parents that come back and say, Hey, we did our family bucket list in the summer. You know, the kids wrote a list. It's awesome. We cross, we do it now every summer or, you know, the spouse bucket list, you know, life gets busy. You forget about, you know, what, what do we want to do as a, as a couple? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and then of course, you know, your goals and dreams and it's all on the table. There's no rules with the bucket list. The only rule is that it's important to you. Mm, love it. Where can folks get this, uh, the journal? Uh, they can get it through my website, bennempton.com or uh, bucketlistjournal.co. Bucketlistjournal.co and bennempton, N-E-M-T-I-N.com. Great stuff. Well, we're excited to see that. Ben, we have a little tradition here at the Brian Buffini Show that uh, we ask five rapid fire questions to every guest from our own bucket list of people we've had here over the last 300 episodes. So I know you, you're not ready for them. So that's why we get the best answers, but it gives another flavor into who you are and how you think. So number one, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given? Surround yourself with people that inspire you. Hmm. Who gave you that? It was actually uh, one of my dad's friends. Uh, and that was the catalyst for me thinking about, you know, surrounding myself with someone like Johnny, the filmmaker. And I, I still, I still abide by that because it totally, I think is the, the single best thing that I've done in my life. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Uh, playing music. Yeah. You know, that is the, uh, 99% of the, uh, answers. Really? Yeah. yeah Everyone wants to play and, you know, in front of a crowd or be able to play and perform. You know, we all blew off mom when she gave us the opportunity to play piano, but there you I go. Know. Number three, wh- what book has been most instrumental in your life? The first, you know, self-help book that I read was How to Win Friends and Influence People, which sure. is probably another one that is very, very common. But yeah, I just found that the writing that Dale Carnegie, the way that Dale Carnegie writes is is so different than than anyone else. And the fact that you, he wrote that 70 years ago and it's still applicable today yeah. and he the way he weaves in stories throughout it, I just think he, it's really, really 
Uh, it's just awesome. Well, Warren Buffett has over 40 honorary degrees and doctorates, and including the one he got himself from Columbia University. And yet the only thing he has hanging in his office is uh, when he graduated the Dale Carnegie course. Because out wow. of that, it gave him the confidence to ask his wife to marry him. So, wow. Yeah. How to win friends and influence people. What one movie you've watched over and over again? Every time it's on, you kind of stop. What's the one? Oh, The Usual Suspects. Ah. So good. Who is Kaiser Soze? <laughs> the greatest good. trick the devil ever pulled. Yeah, yep, that's great. And then lastly, we've asked our guests what's on their bucket list. But I'm going to yeah. modify a little bit for you. One, I'd love to know one thing that's still outstanding on your bucket list. I would like to ask that. I'm going to ask you a bonus question. So I'll give you two things. One that I just did, which was learn how to kiteboard in, okay. in, in Hawaii, which is, you know, you, you, got, you, you, you use a big kite and it pulls you up. And, and the other thing that I uh, really want to do is too, is, is both travel related, but I want, I'd love to go to India and Africa because those are two things I haven't done a safari in Africa right. and, and travel through India. Oh, we have done the African safari. I'd love to tell you the stories with myself and Mr. Lally and some great adventures we got up to. <laughs> but let me finish up with this. Um, you know, we're really committed to helping people discover and rediscover the good life for themselves. And when I say the good life, what, what does that mean to you? What's a good life for Ben Nempton? I think it's staying true to yourself. I think that the good life is being, being authentic and honest with who you are and what you want and following that, uh, even when it's hard and, um, and, and serving others so that they can, they can live their good life as well. Love it. Love it. Well, Ben, thank you so much. This has been a breath of fresh air. I thank you for your transparency. I know you helped a lot of folks here today, not only maybe with somebody that are suffering or suffering in silence, maybe someone who was on the track and like you were in college and they're not feeling so great, or maybe somebody who's not feeling so great, who can realize there's a way out and there's a way up and out, not to conquer, but to handle the difficulties of life and do it in a way that builds you up. And then also the aspirational side of these crazy bucket lists that all of us can achieve. We can achieve so much more than we believe we can. And then if we help other people along the way, boy, that sure makes life very rich indeed. So thanks so much uh, for being a part of our program today. I hope everybody runs out and gets a copy of the Bucket List Journal. Go to bennempton.com and go check that out. I'm going to get one right away. I'm going to find out how the pros do the bucket list. I'm looking forward to that. So thanks for joining me today, Ben. And uh, over to you, Therese. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. (laughs) 